will be a writer. You're going to be a good one or a bad one, but you will be a writer. Uh, you're going to write blog posts. You're going to write sermon content. You're going to write website content for the church. You're going to write bulletin content. Uh, you're going to write announcements. I mean, you're going to have things on PowerPoint. You will be a writer if you're in the ministry. The question is, are you going to be a good one or a bad one? Hey, Dr. Whitney. Hello, Jeff. It's good to be with you. Oh, thank you so much for, for coming on Home Row. It's a real joy to, to have you on here. So for the people out there who don't know who you are, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, your job? Yeah, uh, I am professor of biblical spirituality at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. I'm associate dean at uh, in the School of Theology there under Dr. Greg Wills. Um, and so that's uh, what I do uh, full-time. And then also uh, I started a, a ministry called the Center for Biblical Spirituality. And under uh, the aegis of that, I uh, travel most weekends. I've averaged about 100 airplanes a year doing this for 22 years now, going to churches like yours, where I've been a couple of times or three, to do conferences uh, where I talk about the same sorts of things that I teach at the seminary and the books that I've written, things like praying the Bible and meditation on Scripture. So most weekends I'm in churches doing conferences on that. And also with the Center for Biblical Spirituality, I have a website, blog uh, there. And so those are uh, the main ministry things that I do. Yeah, really helpful from from the writing and also there on the website, you have all these nice kind of bulletin inserts or, or questions to ask at different holidays and things like that. So really, really helpful, all, all of your writing across the spectrum. Yeah, and I will uh, soon be married 40 years uh, to Kathy, uh, C-A-F-F-Y. And she has a website that really needs to be updated, but com that illustrates some of her older artwork. She's an artist, an illustrator. Uh, she has, uh, like uh, at the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern Seminary, there are two four-foot by eight-foot life-size portraits, uh, full-size portraits of Spurgeon there. And she's also done portraits of uh, four-foot by four-foot of Whitfield and Spurgeon and Edwards for Jason Allen there. And book covers, a lot of Joshua Press titles. She does that. She has an art studio and there's a lot of art students. We have uh, one daughter. We were told for 16 years neither of us could be parents, and uh, we got a baby in bifocals the same year. So our, our, our daughter, Laurelyn, uh, uh, teaches choral music at a large public high school in Indianapolis. She's been married a year and a half, and uh, they gave us our first and only grandchild five months ago, so we're thrilled with that. That's right. So good. Now, I know some people listening, if they've been at Southern or have read some of your books, they may pick up on what we're about to talk about. But what's, what's something that Don Whitney does for fun? Yeah, uh, for fun, my hobby is uh, restoring and using old fountain pens. And um, so I'm not very mechanical. I can restore like the old lever fillers. You may have seen them on Three Stooges. They lift up a lever and squirt ink into somebody's face, you <laughs> yeah. know. That was a popular technology. It's still being used, but back in the teens and 20s. So I have a lot of fountain pens from the teens and 20s in particular, but 30s, 40s, 50s also. And uh, I I don't collect them to have a collection. I use them. I have a lot of pens, but I I use them, especially flexible nib pens. I'm a writer, of course. That's why I'm on this program. But uh, I I like to use them, and they're just just very pleasurable. They also make good gifts for other people in ministry and – uh, so I've just, uh, since high school, I've enjoyed using pens and fountain pens. and um, So that's kind of what I do for fun. And your handwriting is unbelievable. 
Well, thanks. You know, when I was just about your age or maybe a little younger, my handwriting was illegible. I mean, nobody's born with good penmanship, like nobody's born playing the guitar or the piano. You have to learn. And so they used to teach it quite commonly. I'm sure you have a lot of old uh, books in which the signature in the front, even if it's with a pencil, uh, you know, is terrific penmanship because that used to be taught yeah. uh, quite commonly. Uh, so anyway, I, as a pastor, and I, by the way, I didn't mention I've pastored about 24 years altogether, 15 years in one particular church. And while in that church, I wanted to write a very brief birthday note to everyone in the church. And uh, so the, I would use a very nice pen. I got some good stationery and some gold uh, sealing wax even. I couldn't give everyone a gift, but I could give them you know, a nice handwritten note. And so uh, I found a, a, a workbook. Uh, just like a first grader, had dotted lines on it and all that on improving your penmanship. And there were 10, 15-minute do-it-yourself lessons in there. And uh, after I finished those, I said, well, unless I'm in a big hurry, this is the way I'm going to force myself to write. And in six weeks, of course, it became my natural handwriting. So, I mean, not a week goes by. I don't get a comment like yours like that because it's so unusual today for anyone to have good penmanship. Oh, it's otherworldly. <clears throat> I remember being in class, it was a, maybe like a J-term or a week-long class or something like that up at Southern. You walk into class and you say, okay, class, well, let's get started. But before we do, I just, I'm sure you're already aware, but I just want to let you know, if you don't, that the new issue of Pen Magazine came out today. <laughs> and so be sure to pick that up. <laughs> Pen and, World, yeah. Yeah, there it is. And I was using a, I don't know, just some, a Bic pen. I, I had a fountain pen. An ink stick. An yeah, ink stick. an ink stick. I had a fountain pen, but I didn't want to fly with it. I didn't want to go through all, the, the, all that hassle. And I'm, si- I'm sitting <laughs> I'm sitting like two rows away from you. And you said in front of the whole class, I wish I could reach over there and grab that pen and break it. <laughs> yeah, I just don't like having unmanly pens in my class. That's so. true. That's true. Now, since you are a writer and you've written so many things, uh, what are some of the books that you've written? I know you've written a lot of uh, I guess pamphlets and, and smaller helpful booklets, um, but anything you want to talk about books you've written? Well, I think I have about eight, and the best known by far is my first book, is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, uh, which is copyrighted 91, but really hit the shelves in 92, and that was revised and updated pretty significantly in 2014. And that one has sold perhaps uh, as many as all the rest of my books put together. That's the one, I mean, it's used in in most evangelical seminaries, uh, it's Billy Graham gave away 150,000 of them, for example. Uh, this is, you know, the one that's opened so many doors for me. Yeah. So that's the best known. Uh, increasingly, I'm thinking maybe the main reason God put me on the planet is, is to teach the message of praying the Bible. And I'm so glad he allowed me to live long enough to put that in a small book form yes. that came out in uh, early 2015 or the summer of 2015. And uh, so that one really means a lot to me. The most recent one, uh, early in 2016, was on family worship. And then the one after that that's probably the best known and used in churches is called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. Yeah, so good, man. I, I remember being in college, and someone gave me a copy of Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And I just remember reading it and just thinking, this is I, I can't believe no one's ever taught me this. I, I didn't know these are, you know, this helpful and easy things to do to grow in Christ. And it was when, it, when you, then you came and preached at our church. Oh, it's such a blessing to have you. And there's one thing you said that just has always stuck with me. 
that as you talked about the spiritual disciplines, and mainly you were teaching on praying the Bible, that, you know, when Jesus said, come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that if any kind of spiritual growth we're trying to do, if it's not light and if it's not, in a sense, easy, then mm-hmm. it must not be in the way of Christ. And, man, mm-hmm. that was so helpful. As you think about praying the Bible and reading the Bible and fellowship, that as we walk in the Spirit, these things are not cumbersome. No, they're free. Yeah, they're joy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you're working on now you could, you could tell us about? I am contributing a chapter to a book on uh, uh, pastoral ministry that Jason Allen at Midwestern is editing. And I just finished a chapter for a, 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 a commentary on the abstract of principles here at Southern Seminary that just came out uh, on sanctification. But I, the chapter I've been given is the pastor is man of God. Mm. And so uh, that will come out in the spring of 2017, I think. And that's what I'm working on now. Okay, great. Now, how, how did you become a writer? Because I think your father was in <clears throat> broadcast, right? That's right. He was okay. a manager of a small-town radio station. You know, that, that's interesting. When I was pastoring in the Chicago area, I went there in the spring of 81, and the first guest preacher I ever had for a conference, I think it was in the spring of 82, a man who's uh, just recently retired from pastoral ministry, Stephen Davis. He was in uh, Russellville, Arkansas for uh, decades. And he made a statement during this weekend he was with us. He At one point, I, I don't remember any of the context. I just remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, you know you're going to have to write a book someday. Hmm. And it was like a weight was put on me. <laughs> uh, and, and I hated it, you know, I, because I just had a sense that he's right. But how in the world is that going to happen? I had no writers uh, or training in writing. Uh, but I did remember this. I, I had come across J.I. Packer saying he had no writer's training. Oh, that's incredible. No formal training in writing. But, of course, what Packer did have was a great education. Uh, I mean, he was an Oxford grad and so forth, and he had read, you know, great works. But uh, so I thought, what am I going to do with this? So um, I, I didn't – of course, there were no blogs in those days. There was no internet uh, back yeah. in those days. And But I remember at some point I went to a writer's conference there in Wheaton, which was adjacent to Glen Ellen where I was pastoring. And it might have been Christian Writers Association or something like that. And they had a contest. And uh, so I, I submitted some article I'd written or something like that. And I was one of the three winners. And, I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather when that was that was announced. Wow. But it just gave me the sense of, hey, m- maybe I can write. I, you know, I've, I, it, I haven't had no training in this. I've had no encouragement to do this. I've had nothing to make me believe I am a writer. But this is an encouragement. So I, I began to pursue that just maybe reading a few things every once in a while, writing some very tiny article. I don't even know you know, where it might have been published. But then uh, the real turning point came when we had some friends who worked with the Navigators. And we were at their home, and I had um, uh, one of the best classroom experiences I ever had was in one of my doctoral uh, – one of the doctors I got, this was a D-min at Trinity, and the class was on the spiritual and intellectual development of the pastor. Wow, what a great seminar that was. And one of the assignments, I forget exactly what the assignment was, but the result was the skeletal outlines of what became spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. 
And I showed this book to our friends who work for the Navigators. One, the husband was head of the business and professional men's ministries of the Navs, and his wife uh, had published several books with them. And I said, I got this idea for a book, and here's the outline. What, what do you guys think? And they said, uh, Jean Fleming, the wife, said, we like this. So let me invite my, uh, my editor out to come look at this. So she came out the next day or two, and she said, yeah, we'll take a look at this. And uh, there was no more commitment to do anything uh, than just look at it. And I sent it to them, and lo and behold, they decided to publish it. And they said later that they published like one out of a thousand manuscripts that are sent to them like that. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have had the courage. I wouldn't have taken the time or trouble to send it to them. But they published it, and that basically has opened every door for me since then. I'm here teaching biblical spirituality at Southern Seminary, if you trace it back uh, to the publication of that book. Yeah, that's really the... The catalyst. It was, yeah. Now, who has who has influenced your writing the most? Would you say the favorite writers or pastors, um, d- dead or alive? Well, are you talking about content or style? Both. Well, in content, I, I would be you know the kinds of people I have read for ministry purposes: uh, Puritans, Spurgeon, Packer. Uh, uh, People like that have influenced much of the uh, content, and this might surprise you a little bit, but sort of old school navigators have had an influence on that. When I was in my first pastoral ministry, which was a very difficult situation, uh, and this is 1980, so again, there's no internet, uh, I fed my own soul. You know, every pastor needs a pastor, and and I fed my own soul by a, a cassette tape ministry that was widely used in those days where the only cost you had, you could check out eight tapes and you had paid a quarter apiece for shipping. Uh-huh. And then this catalog, and I would get four tapes from this guy who would go through books of the Bible that I'd never heard of. Who is this guy in California? Some guy named John MacArthur. <laughs> uh, I think I've, I I think I've heard of him. Yeah. This, I thought, this is amazing. In this catalog, it would show these different New Testament books, and you know he'd have 50, 80 sermons on you know Ephesians or something. And so I would I would get four of those, and then I get four from these I call old school navigators. These guys who were discipled by Dawson Trotman and and uh, people like that. And it'd be how to meditate on Scripture, how to have a quiet time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were purely topical, but extremely practical, and often by guys who were you know hadn't been seminary educated or theologically trained. But they helped me with the daily walk uh, of the Christian life and how to communicate that to people in the pew. So they helped me in terms of kind of things I saw a need for. Hmm. Uh, like, like you said about spiritual listens, why has nobody taught me these things? So uh, theologically, those are the you know the Puritan Spurgeon, Lloyd Jones, uh, Banner of Truth kind of published books and and things like that. In terms of style, um, you know, later on, back in, in the 90s, it began to be people like Wendell Berry, um, who is the only writer whose fiction I've ever reread. I'd never read a lot of fiction. I just said to myself, I don't have time. You know, there's so many Christian classics I haven't read, much less, you know, fiction. But I started reading Wendell Berry, and... Um, with every one of his books, there are times that I, I pause, maybe just sit the book down in my lap and mm. tear up wow. that any person can put words together so beautifully. And so I am a better wordsmith when I read Wendell Berry. 
And so I, I guess he would be one of the main influences um, there. Beyond that, in terms of style, <clears throat> I guess it's just maybe uh, instructional books, so to speak, books on writing yeah. uh, that have helped me. Would you have any favorites there? Um, like I Peter, know. El- Peter Elbow. Uh, Never heard of it. Uh, yeah, it has a pretty kind of classic book on writing, and I'm trying to think of some others by name, but you know, perhaps the best help I could give to your listeners at this point is not some particular names, but the best received counsel on writing I've ever given anybody, that which I people repeatedly say is the most helpful. Um, because this is this is what I did, and others have found it helpful, who, who feel like, you know, I, I never had a, a, a degree in English or journalism. I've never had any training in this, yeah. so what do I do? I tell people, look, go to Barnes & Noble uh, and go to the reference section where they have dictionaries and so forth because that's where they also have their books on writing. And they will have usually a shelf or two in their bookcase on reference uh, works. They'll have a, a shelf or two or maybe more on writing. And they'll run the gamut from, on the one hand, just purely inspirational you know, you too can be a writer, uh, to on the other end of the spectrum to Strunk and White's Elements of Style, yeah. you know, and everything in between. And I just say, find the one you think would be most interesting and helpful to you right now, wherever it is on that spectrum. And take that, and when you're going to write, whether you're about to write, uh, do writing on a sermon or a blog post or anything else, Take that book and read a chapter to sort of prime the pump and then then write. Um, and I found that what that does, if I just sit down every night and read through a book on writing, I don't remember much of it. Mm. But if I'll read a chapter on writing, put it down and immediately put my fingers on the keyboard or hands to the pen, I am more likely to apply something in my writing that I've just learned. And you do that as a discipline. You know, every time you're going to write, you will accumulate over time a lot of, of writing skill, measurable progress. Uh, you just accumulate a lot of tips and helps uh, just by that little discipline. Read a little bit on writing immediately before you write. That's good. That's really helpful. And I think one thing I've tried to do is, so I've, you know, reading Strunk and Wide or Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen King on writing and and, and, yes. and and different folks, but then also reading the writers that I that I love, whose whose style I love. So mm-hmm. if that's you or Russell Moore or Ray Ortland, and then yeah. studying that paragraph. Okay, why did I like it so much? How yes. did, how did they vary their sentence structure? How did they use commas and m dashes and semicolons and mm-hmm. sentence length and rhythm? Like all of that, like popping the hood on why you like that paragraph so much. Yeah, very very good. I mean, you know, the classic advice is always, you know, read good writing, and and that's 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 huge. You'll pick up a lot just by osmosis that way, just exposure to it. But the best way to profit from reading good writing is exactly what you just said, Jeff. To, to back up and say now, why? Did I find that so helpful? I mean, this transfers over. I, I'm, I'm, I spend time in my classes about the importance of public scripture reading and reading it well. Yeah. There's so many people who read the Bible publicly with all the enthusiasm of someone reading the phone book out loud. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I say that, that's an acquired skill. You may not have the natural pipes of a James Earl Jones, but you can become a better public scripture reader. And the way to do that, just like you said, when you hear someone and you say, boy, they read well, whether it's a TV commercial, whether it's a newscaster, whether it's a commercial on the radio or, or, or someone else, ask yourself, what made me say that? How they paused at the end of a sentence or, you know, what, what was it? And you do the same thing with writing. And that's just an intentionality that will, over time, will, will make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you having been in our church and reading your sermon text, I've thought to myself, man, Dr. Whitney should record an audio Bible. That would be, that would be a blast. <laughs> well, you know, that's another, that's another thing. I listen every day to uh, audio Bible, and I always come back to Max McLean. I've listened to most audio Bibles that are out there. But I come back to Max McLean uh, mainly because not only does he do well, but uh, I know he believes it, and that makes a difference to me. I read some, I listen to some guys and think, I, I'm not even sure they believe what they're saying here. Mm, yeah. But but when you listen to someone read your passage that you're preaching Sunday, ask yourself, okay, how did they do it? And uh, record yourself reading your passage for Sunday, and then say, oh, you know, I need to pause here, or I need to really emphasize this noun. Yeah. When I read that. That's good. There's two people that I think of when I listen to them preach, when they re- read the text, I always think, man, that was helpful. Piper, of course, John Piper. He reads mm. everything yeah. with such passion. Yeah. And then and Russell Moore, too. He, I, I notice he emphasizes certain words when he's reading a text and kind of yes. gets to a different pitch when he's going to emphasize something. I'm like, man, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah, read interpretively. I mean, every reading is an interpretation, right? Uh, I mean, if you just read it monotonously as a robot, there is an interpretation of the text, and you're reading that way. So as you understand the text, read it in a way that interprets it uh, correctly. You know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I mean, just, you know, the way you say that calls attention to certain things that interpret the text as you're reading it. Yeah, that's good. Now, maybe backtrack a little bit. You mentioned Wendell Berry. Maybe people want to go pick up a Wendell Berry book and start somewhere. Do you have a recommendation? Yeah, I have uh, my students. I, I require his reading one of my D-Men seminars. Uh, and what I have them read is, um, I'm slipping on the title just for a moment. Maybe you can help me. It's it's his collected short stories. Uh, three words in the title, and I'll think of it in a minute. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's his collected short stories. And the benefit is if, if you know, if people don't, like the story, well, it's going to change in a minute. And you're exposed to a number of different characters. And if you're wanting one of his longer novels, uh, now, Russell Moore, who's read everything, even the, all the poetry of Wendell Berry, uh, and has gone to visit him, uh, he recommends Jaber Crow, mm. J-A-Y-B-E-R, Jaber Crow, who's the name of the barber in this fictional town. Okay. And that's probably the one he's won the most awards for. I actually like his first novel the best, which he won an award for, and he went back later and revised it, and that is The Memory of Old Jack. And often if I'm visiting, like when I've been at your church, and maybe Saturday night we've got some free time, I'll go to Barnes & Noble. If they've never read Wendell Berry, I will look for that book, pull it off the shelf, and find a certain section where uh, the main character, Jack, uh, it's a flashback and how he... When he meets his wife, well, when he sees his wife for the future wife for the first time in church, in this case, uh, I have people read a couple of pages from there 
And I've never had anyone read those two pages who didn't buy the book. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's good. Okay, so the uh, collected stories, is it That Distant Land? That's it, That Distant Land. It's it's large, but it's collected short stories. Some are very brief, some are longer. And that's where I get people started on Wonder Bear usually. Yeah, I'm going to put it on my Amazon wish list right now. All right. Christmas is coming up. Hopefully somebody will, will snag it for me. That's right. Now, as we, as we get kind of tor- towards the end here, I want to focus back on your writing because as we think about all the things you've written from Praying the Bible, which I think for me it was so kind of revolutionary and just my, my prayer life and um, spiritual disciplines, family worship, all of your writing has kind of been dialed in like a Marine to the area of Christian growth. Um, how did that happen? And Because you haven't ventured out into – you know, okay, I'm going to write a, a book on apologetics or a, a book on the scope of the atonement, but you've, you know, you've stayed in this zone. It's so helpful. So how did that happen? Well, it's interesting. I was asked that question about two years ago for the first time, and it, it made me think about this journey. Um, and it's interesting to trace it. Um, I, my, so I have to go back to my formative church years. I was raised in a, uh, in a Southern Baptist church. I was taken to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, nine months before I was born, little uh, county seat town in Arkansas. And my dad was a daily Bible reader. Um, and I'm told I began reading kind of early, like at four I was reading. Oh, wow. And so my dad, my dad modeled daily Bible reading for me. And he was a leading layman in a in a church, small church, 120 people maybe, where uh, we use the old eight-point record system. And a lot of your listeners, their eyes just glazed over as if I'd <laughs> said Sunday school quarterly. Yeah. I mean, these are terms from the past. But the, the eight-point record system was a little – every member of the church, got even children, got these offering envelopes. And on the front of the offering envelope – where you put your name and how much you put in the offering. There are these little check boxes at the bottom. And so you got like 10% if you showed up and 10% if you read your Bible every day and 10% if you brought your Bible to church that morning and 20% if you're going to stay for church and all these kinds of things. And the goal, of course, was to be 100%. And every Sunday, I can remember uh, our Sunday school teachers who would accumulate all these things. I remember the two men that I had as teachers most of my growing up years. They were both deacons in their church. One was a barber, one sold men's clothes, and I, I didn't think of them in those days as eminently godly men, like I did one or two older men in the church. I mean, I highly respected them. They were, you know, they were they were good men, but I didn't think of them as holy men as I did some guys in the church. And every Sunday, these just kind of ordinary guys would say to the class, "All right, how many of you boys read your Bible every day?" "Yes, sir." Raise my hand. You know, how many boys are staying for church? "Yes, sir." And so that's just what we did. That was just the expectation. And then in our Sunday school quarterly, which again for your younger listeners was a little book where it had all the Sunday school lessons for the next three months and you were (laughs) supposed to read your lesson and you got 10%, you know, if you read your lesson the night before. In the back of it, there were the Bible, daily Bible readings for the next three months. And they all had the little check boxes on there. And Jeff, I became a master at checking those boxes. Yeah. You know, I would put an X in the first box and color in the second box and color in the lower half of the third box and the upper half of the fourth box. And I had 90 different ways to check boxes. Um, now, yes, was that prone to legalism? Absolutely. But there was a discipline to it and accountability. And what I want to bring out of that was 
that was just the air we breathed in our church. We were expected to read our Bible every day. All right, so fast forward. So I, I literally, Jeff, I literally have no memory of a life where I didn't read the Bible every day. Wow. I just, I don't remember a life without reading the Bible every day. So fast forward then to uh, college. When I went off to college, I went to a Christian bookstore for the first time in my life. And I was attracted to a book on prayer. Bought that and read it. So then I go to seminary eventually, and I'm attracted most of all to our basic spirituality course there. And then a professor who had an influence on me, he would do a seminar regularly called The Mind of Christ and very practical stuff. So then I graduate from seminary, I go to this pastor that I told you about, and what fed my soul were these old school navigator tapes. And my first sermon series, now that I look back on it, I didn't call it that, was on spiritual disciplines. My first sermon series in my first pastor was on the spiritual disciplines. All of which is to say, all my life, I've just had an interest and a bent toward practical Christian living. Okay, we all know we're supposed to read the Bible every day, but how, how do you do that? I mean, you know, what are some of the ins and outs of that? How do you memorize scripture when it seems to be so hard? How, how in the world we're told we meditate day and night? We're told that two or three places in the Bible. How do you meditate on scripture? What's the difference in that and just daydreaming, you know? So I don't know. I've always been drawn toward the how do you do these things that the Bible tells us to do. And that's just where I'm most comfortable in writing. Also, like I said, I've pastored 24 years, so I would stand before people and, uh, you know, talk about the things of God. And I want to say to them, how do you do this? In fact, part of the puzzle I've never really brought into the story before is in my first uh, doctorate, what I did it on was the the development and use of application in preaching. Mm. So how do you take the preached word and apply it to your listeners? So I don't know. I've just always been bent toward that. How do you do this kind of uh, orientation? So that's where my writing is going. That's good. And I, I really think that's where ultimately all of our all of our Christian communication, whether preaching, teaching, writing, counseling, that is the ultimate art for it. How do I live with Christ? And how do I live in Christ? And how do I live for Christ? Yeah. Um, now, the foundation for all of the course is exegeting the text, and then the theology, you know, is, is built upon that. And what I emphasize is kind of the end of the, end of the road. You know, as, as a pastor, when you go to prepare for Sunday, you go into the, you know, the, the original text, you do exegesis in the text, you, you read, you know, theological tomes on the matter. And, but ultimately, when you come to preach it, that is, everything you preach is predicated first on that foundation. But by the end of the sermon, you're wanting to tell people now, in light of all that, here's what we're to do. And what I focus on is just the end of that, but I don't want to say that without giving priority importance to exegesis and theology. Yeah, that's good. Good. So helpful. And good good lesson to remember for every aspiring Christian writer that the goal isn't to, you know, just churn out some nice, you know, kind of whiz-bang, you know, rhetoric and some really neat uh, paragraphs and punchy articles. But Yeah, exactly. To, to be across. innovative. Yeah, yeah, we're not just looking for tips and tricks and innovation. It, it all has to be consistent with exegesis and theology. That's good. So maybe, you know, as we come to the end, last question, we've got all kinds of people listening. There's uh, teenagers, college students, 
uh, moms, dads, maybe empty nesters, maybe they're considering how ca- maybe I want to write. I think I want to become a writer. Maybe I want to bless mm-hmm. my local church with something. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what's how, how could they start? What's the first thing they could do? Well, let me say first of those to those who are in ministry of some sort. If you're in if you're in ministry, you will be a writer. You're going to be a good one or a bad one, but you will be a writer. Uh, you're going to write blog posts. You're going to write sermon content. You're going to write website content for the church. You're going to write bulletin content. Uh, you're going to write announcements. I mean, you're going to have things on PowerPoint. You will be a writer if you're in the ministry. The question is, are you going to be a good one or a bad one? And so it is uh, useful for the sake of your ministry, for the kingdom, for the glory of God, to to learn to write well as, you know, as uh uh, apples of gold and settings of silver. So is you know the the, the right word there. Proverbs tells us, and so um, it, it's important for ministry. You're a wordsmith if you're in ministry, and so you want to write uh, well. Now, for anyone else uh, in is serving in their local church, uh, they want to be a writer through the ministry of their local church is a great opportunity. I mean, they're at the church website may be looking for guest blog posts, so to speak, or for someone who can help out and write website uh, content, uh, things that, that, that take some time but, but take some skill. And so uh, if uh, the church is looking for people who can help with that in almost any case, it may be uh, if the church doesn't have a website, they can, you know, put it to use there. They may uh, can develop a ministry, you know, through the church of, you know, helping with a blog or something like that. But aside from all that, their own blog uh, is a place where they can nowadays, I mean, it's, unlimited opportunity for people to start writing that way, but to improve their writing. Uh, read good writers. And second, as I've already said, go to the bookstore, find a book on writing you think would interest you, and then read a little bit to prime the pump and pick up the pen. That's good. Thank you so much, Dr. Winnie. It's a real, real joy and a real honor to have you on the show. You're welcome, Jeff. I'm grateful for your ministry. You've been an encouragement to me. You're a great example to ministers of your age, and uh, Lord bless your work. Well, thanks, brother. Well, thank you so much for listening to Home Row. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Don Whitney. Uh, be sure to check out other archived episodes, and I hope they'll be a blessing to you. You can also leave a rating on iTunes, and this will really help the, the podcast get into the ears of, of more folks. And also be sure to check the show notes. We've got a lot of links uh, there from books we talked about and other items that we discussed. And you can find my books uh, on Amazon, Gospel Formed, uh, Living a Grace-Addicted, Truth-Filled, Jesus-Exalting Life. And also my second book that I co-authored with Brandon Smith called Rooted, and it's a theology for growing Christians, and I, I hope they'll be a real uh, help to you. Well, thanks for listening, and let's, uh, let's keep writing for the glory of God.